Our reading this morning is from the uh, first chapter of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place, as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So far, our reading from God's word. Well, good morning and uh, good to be with you this morning and uh, lovely uh, that we can gather here uh, in warmth uh, to uh, li listen to the word of God and to uh, fellowship together and uh, it's been terrific to uh, do this great privilege and uh, what an encouragement to hear of those uh, the ladies uh, being equipped yesterday and uh, so, uh, men, we better get ourselves organised. <laughs> Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we uh, thank you so much for uh, this time together where we uh, can just pause in the busyness of life and uh, reflect together uh, on your word. And we do indeed want to be the men and women, the children who, um, 
who love your word and uh, love your son and love you heavenly father that gave your word to us so lord we do pray now that um, you would quieten our hearts and help us to uh, listen well and to uh, live lives to your glory and particularly as we think about the place of prayer uh, help us to learn from the example of nehemiah this morning amen well, every day as Christians, um, we face what seems to be the headwinds in living for the Lord. Headwinds are those things that are discouragements from us trusting in the Lord day by day. And as Christians, uh, we live with the breathtaking promise that we do have uh, every uh, spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, adoption into the family of God, forgiveness from God, uh, we know God as our Heavenly Father. But we also know that doesn't immune us from the various challenges and difficulties or, as I've said, the headwinds in life. We live with the certain hope of things to come in the Lord Jesus, but we live in a world where there is opposition, breakdown, pain and being misunderstood. It's not enough just to simply recognise those difficulties, but we also need to recognise sin. The sin of those who face difficulty, uh, the sin of others who cause the difficulty, or the difficulties of simply because we live in this world that is distorted and it's under the judgment of futility. But rather than trying to sort of work all this out somehow without God, Christians turn to God in prayer and trust again and again in the promises and this is what the Old Testament saint Nehemiah did in the 4th century BC. His job was cupbearer to the king. His job description might have read something like this, always ensure the king's cup is free of poison. So straight, up, straight off the bat, he's not a waiter. I don't think he was paid danger money, and I don't think he had a lab to test the products in. In any case, Nehemiah is right there. He's close at hand at the king's court. He's there because he's in exile, away from Judah like all the other exiles were. Life was still difficult, far from home, unable to sing the songs of Zion in a strange land. The Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and its temple in 586 BC and the people were deported as slaves. In 539 BC, the Persians conquered the Babylonians under King Cyrus who allowed a number of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem the following year. And two years later, in 536, the foundation of the Second Temple was laid. After some strife and delaying in the construction of this temple, it was completed in Jerusalem in 516 BC. And as the book of Nehemiah opens, we're told it's the month of Kislev. And... Um, you might have a calendar at home. Look for Kislev, you won't find it. It's actually, they think, about November. Uh, Artaxerxes is the king. He's the Persian king. Uh, he's been ruling since about 465 BC. It's in the 20th year of his reign, and so you can do the maths. It's 445 BC. Nehemiah is there in the capital of Susa, which is today located on the western edge of modern Iran, western edge there, about 1,500 1500 kilometres from Jerusalem. 
And so some people from Judah arrive in Susa and they're giving a report uh, that just devastates Nehemiah. And so look again with me at uh, verses 2 and 3. You'll find them the reading there for you in the handout this morning. And just have a look at it there as uh, we read those words from verses 2 and 3. Hanani was one of my brothers. He came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had survived the exile. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. If you look very carefully there, you'll notice that Nehemiah asked the men for two pieces of information. Uh, He wants to know about the people in Jerusalem and he wants to know about the city. So, in effect, the work of God is paralysed and the people of God are demoralised. There's always been attempts to rebuild the wall, but the work had stopped under Artaxerxes when he made a decree about that. Stop building walls and gates around Jerusalem. Well, now they're broken down, burnt down. And it showed that the people of God, although they were back in the land, they were still a conquered people, slaves in their land, without walls and gates around Jerusalem. Symbolically, it meant really the people could not separate themselves to the Lord's. It also was a sign that the Lord had abandoned his people, or at least that God's people had abandoned the Lord. And although some years have elapsed between Artaxerxes saying, stop building those walls, to the report that Nehemiah has just received, there is great danger here for Nehemiah if he just sort of runs headlong into the cause. I mean, you just think about it for a minute. You, there you are, you want to sort of create some extension or some building program at your home. Uh, you want to sort of put that to council. And uh, if any of you know what that's like, and I'm thinking of some dear friends with us here this morning that might be going through that. You think of the hurdles that are involved in that. That's just nothing compared with coming before Artaxerxes, who has already said no more building. The walls are in ruins, the people are in great trouble, and Nehemiah could be next if he just sort of pushes into the cause of the king's court. Could be interpreted as treason or could lose his life. So then how does he respond to the news? So he prays. You see there under the heading of response, he prays. And if you know the story of Nehemiah, you know he's a builder of walls. But first we see him as a man of prayer. His name means the Lord comforts. And through his prayer, the Lord comforts. One of the valuable lessons we learn from Nehemiah is leaders of people must be leaders in prayer. Leaders of people in public must be leaders of people in private before a gracious God. And if you notice there with me in verse 4, his prayer was humble grief. It was intensive, and that is he sat down and wept. 
It was extensive, that it went on for some days. And it was expressive. He mourned and fasted. Nehemiah grieved over the difficult situation of God's people and their sin. He knew it was because of their sin that God had sent his people into exile. And he knew that they were still living with the consequences of that sin. Grief for sin is the sign of a great leader. As is sorrow for the situation God's people are in. And this is what our Lord Jesus did, didn't he? When he wept over Jerusalem just before his death on the cross. That through his grief for the sin of the people's rejection of him, he went to the cross to be the sacrifice that they needed. Often we can get angry or despair when God's people sin rather than grieve. It is much better to pour out our grief to God, and this is what Nehemiah does. And his prayer runs from verses 5 to 11, and uh, I'd like to look at that with you under the following points. The Lord, hear my prayer. Our sin is against you. Remember your instruction. Remember your people. Give success. All there on the outline. So it begins, hear my prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. It didn't begin with Nehemiah. It was God-centred prayer. Now, Nehemiah knew God. He acknowledged that God was, he knew, and that he was great and faithful and loving and accessible and powerful. He asked the Lord to hear and to see so that he didn't assume what was on his heart was God's big concern. His prayer was for the welfare of his people. More than likely, the idea that he would go and ask permission from the king a little bit later on to leave his post there as cupbearer and go to Jerusalem really only came after considerable time in prayer. Sometimes we say, all I can do is pray as if prayer is the last resort when things are so difficult, nothing else we can do. Now for Nehemiah, it was the first thing he did. Comparing the times between the beginning of chapter 1 of Nehemiah and chapter 2, as it begins, tells us that Nehemiah prayed day and night for at least three months and possibly five months about this situation. 
And each day he may well have prayed, let today be the day I have success in the presence of this man, only to find that that day ended without that answer. So he persisted that he might in some way be used by God to be the answer. English minister J.C. Ryle says, the habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. Just as the first sign of life in an infant is, when they're born, is the act of breathing. So the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. Everything Nehemiah was able to achieve for God's kingdom can be traced to his commitment to daily prayer. Are you challenged, like I am, to pray like this persistently to the Lord, who is now not building walls around special places, but is still at work building his church? his people, in his world and using people to do it. Who is making disciples who are lifelong learners of the Lord Jesus. Next, Nehemiah's prayer turns to confession. Verses 6 to 7, our sin is against you, he says. Which is the real reason for this tragedy that they're experiencing. Our greatest problem is our sins. And that's because God doesn't like them. They damage us and they dishonour him. Nehemiah's prayer recognised that our deepest sin is against God when we break his commandments. So if sin is the cause of the plight facing God's people, then turning back to God in repentance and faith is the remedy. Note how Nehemiah includes himself in the sins of commission and omission by using that little word, we. It was like Isaiah who, when the Lord called him to serve in Isaiah 6, said, Lord, I confess I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When the Times of London invited several authors to respond to the theme, what's wrong with the world, G.K. Chesterton wrote in saying, Dear Sirs, I am, yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Admitting sins is about being honest. God has never brought genuine renewal to his people without a genuine, honest admission of sin. Like, Lord, I confess to you today, I am guilty of unbelief. I do not believe your Bible. Lord, I confess to you today that pride fills my heart. Lord, I confess to you today how easy it is for me to be a gossip. 
Lord, I confess to you today that I'm a grumbler. And everybody knows I'm a grumbler. And, I'm like every, and I make everybody else grumble because I'm so good at it. And so on. When we start to name it and call it for what it is and confess it for what it does, then we start to make progress. Because God knows we're sinful and in need of his forgiveness. When we know who God is in his majesty and holiness, we begin to know this as well. The Nehemiah asked the Lord to remember in verse 8, remember your instruction that you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. They certainly had experienced that, hadn't they? But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So by scattering, the Lord judges. And by gathering them, he blesses, he forgives. The best prayers are when we ask the Lord to do what he has promised in the Bible. This is what Nehemiah does by praying according to God's promise to Moses. Nehemiah recognised that the place the Lord chose for his name to dwell is in bad shape. For his people's hearts are not right with him. But the promise is, should they return to him, to obey his commands, that the Lord will gather them. The bad condition of the city and the walls of Jerusalem are just symbolic of the bad relationship between God and his people. They had forsaken God. They may have returned to him physically in Jerusalem, but their hearts are still far from him. And it would be a great shame to return to the place where the people of God are, but having hearts that are not for the Lord, or are not for his instruction, or for his commands, or for his word. Is that possible? Only the Lord sees our hearts. May he see us physically gathered and with hearts given to him, to follow him. And so here's Nehemiah's prayer. Hear my prayer, Lord. Our sin is great. Remember your instruction and remember your people, in verse 10, where he says, our servants, your servants rather, whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. And if you've got your Old Testament uh, sort of thoughts there, you'll know that he's referring to the Exodus, isn't he? He had brought them so far as a redeemed people. And this is what he does for his church, to redeem them, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, established a covenant in his blood, who pledged himself to us. 
It's as though Nehemiah is saying, you can't abandon them without denying yourself. Nehemiah expresses such concern for God's people in his day. And I wonder, are we any less able to express our concern for the church in our day, for the members in our family, to not reject the Lord, not to remain scattered from him, but to return to him. Remember, your redeemed people, Lord. They belong to your church. They are bought with your blood. You know who they are. And give success. The day would come when, uh, in God's kindness and providence, Nehemiah would be given permission from Artaxerxes to return to Jerusalem and uh, he could be God's servant leader for that time, urging the people to rebuild and return to the Lord. And success came to Nehemiah on his knees. Prayer isn't some mechanical process, some minor part in how things are going to work out. Nehemiah's prayer shows us the relationship that God had established with his people and the relationship they and Nehemiah had with their Lord. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we know this even more, what that relationship is? That God has blessed us in Christ, chosen us in Christ, redeemed us through Christ, forgiven our sins, marked us in the, with the Spirit, and that through Jesus we are confident to draw near to God and make our requests to him. That whatever the moment might be for you or the report that you receive or the news or the crisis or the situation, we have as just as much confidence as Nehemiah to cry to the Lord in our grief and in our distress. And like Nehemiah, persist in our praying day and night. You see, prayer is the most practical thing you can do. It matters because God matters and prayer matters because prayer matters to God. We might be tempted to think our prayers do little, but as Nehemiah waited on the Lord he became aware that he could be used as God's answer. He was like the psalmist who said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the bog he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Perhaps this is where you find yourself today. You need to wait upon the Lord. And the question that faces you is whether you are waiting patiently. Nehemiah waited for possibly three or even, even five months when all he could do was pray. All he could do 
I'm not sure that's how Nehemiah saw prayer. It was for him the first thing he desired to do. Has the gospel shaped the way you're praying in this way? Does the love of the Lord Jesus and your love for his people that he has made his own lead you to pray like Nehemiah? Take these points of Nehemiah's prayer and make them yours for your church here and in other parts and for those things that are right there on your heart. Let us pray. Our Father, we are so humbled by the great example of Nehemiah in a desperate situation, but realising that it was the people's sin that really had put them in that situation. And so this prayer is confessing the sin. And Father, as you look upon us today, you know each of our hearts and each of our lives and where we at are at as a church. And we pray that we might indeed be drawing aside, laying, laying our concerns and burdens to you, our sin, confessing it. And also, Father, that we would return to the Lord to a God who has redeemed us in Jesus. Lord, we need this encouragement and the challenge this morning. We pray that you might make us the people of God and use us to bring much glory to your name. And we thank you for all that has been done for Christ over the years here. We praise you, Father, for your mercy and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.